are listening to the Moody Girl Podcast with me, Emily Fazer. Throughout this series, we're going to be opening the minds of experts and delving into the world of alternative healing methods. Before we start the episode today, I wanted to ask all of you listeners a question. Did you know that a lot of people are living with lower than recommended magnesium levels? I didn't know this either and had never explored incorporating magnesium into my daily life until I started having skin issues. I now use Better You Magnesium Oil Body Spray when I get out of the shower in the morning and spray onto my feet before I go to bed. I found that when I had psoriasis and hormonal breakouts on my face or body, I would spray it on and at first it really stung. But this was a sign from my body that my cellular magnesium levels were low. The more I got the magnesium into my system daily, the less it stung. It made sense. If you're feeling like you could benefit from having magnesium in your life, I would strongly recommend looking into using Better You Magnesium Oil Body Spray. Link to purchase is in the bio. Now, let's get to the episode. Hey guys, welcome to another episode. Today I'm speaking with Carly Ann, a somatic attachment and trauma informed coach. Also, if you're enjoying these episodes and you haven't already, please like, share, subscribe, and give a five-star review if possible. It really helps just getting the podcasts out there. Carly Ann supports people to have more open, softer, and happier relationships with themselves, which has a beautiful influence on dating and the important relationships in our lives. I'm really looking forward to delving into this topic with you all today. Okay, let's get to the episode. So welcome listeners to the Moody Girl podcast. We're going to start it a little bit differently today with Carly Ann, who's going to lead us on a somatic awareness meditation. Take it away, Carly Ann. So first, I would invite you just to check in with yourself. So a kind of snapshot, if you like, of just asking yourself how you're feeling. It's definitely something we don't do enough. And you can just sit stand, lie down in a way that feels good for you. Just taking that moment to check in with how you're feeling. And then you can really choose with your eyes open your eyes closed, taking whatever posture feels comfortable to you. And since you've named and noticed the current state of your body, how you're feeling, you can just take a breath and acknowledge where you're at. No judgment, no need to try and change it. It just is. Just noticing your breath if it's possible. Perhaps a deeper, more intentional, slower breath than you have been taking, but only if that feels okay for you. Just scanning your body See if you can notice any sensations. See if you're sensing any tension, any stress, any irritation. And if you can identify that, just see where that is in your body. If you're not connecting, if you're feeling numb, that's a feeling as well. So you can just connect with that feeling of numbness. If you're feeling impatient to get through this exercise, you can connect with that feeling of impatience. Just notice it. But whatever you're noticing, just place your hand on the body area where it feels most present.
and just take a breath and exhale slowly allowing that feeling to be there and just sending compassion towards it sending love you might just say that makes sense I see you And now I just want you to feel your feet on the ground. Really feel them. And if you're laying down, you can bend your knees and place your feet on the bed or on the ground. And gently push your feet into the surface. Almost as if you're walking on the spot. really feel that and now we're going to use your imagination if it's possible imagine your barefoot in the grass in the sand on the ground in mud and just keep walking and keep walking keep exhaling actively You have the option to pause and do this for sort of two to three minutes. And just pausing and really noticing the ground beneath you, wherever you're connecting to what you're laying on, leaning on. I want you to receive the support of that. See if you're able to receive the support and notice that you don't have to do anything. You might just want to set an intention for your day, for your week. I'm just noticing this is just a step in coming home to your body. And congratulate yourself, no matter the experience. Beginning to hear the sound of my voice, become aware of the room that you're in. As you do become aware and back to the moment, you can look around you and just find something that creates perhaps a nice memory or a colour that you like. And then you can get ready to transition into the rest of this podcast. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Carly-Anne. Listeners, I went on that journey with you as well today. Um, So I'm going to learn as much as everyone else listening today, because this is a totally new practice that I've never heard of. Um, And you're the first person I've heard of that's doing it, Carly-Anne. Um, so yes, we're really, really excited to delve into all things somatic attachment therapy today. Um, so can you start by telling us a little bit more about your work? How did it start? How did you get involved in it? And, you know, tell us your story. Mm. I mean, like many people, I'm sure that you speak to, it did start with my own experience, my own journey of just really painful, painful patterns in relationships, in dating, especially romantic relationships. And it was those rock bottoms over and over again, Mm. you know? And then, you know, I went on a journey myself of personal development, of healing attachment wounds all of these words that i'm sure you want to dive into and at the same time working on my self-esteem are all so interconnected you know as i work on one area i'd become aware of another area and at the same time i've always worked in a helping profession since the moment i came out of uni always dreamt of that and i don't know if that is that wounded healer thing that we hear of you know perhaps childhood there was a lot of like substance misuse mental health and so I was always always were the areas I was going to work in 
And then at the back of my mind, I always had this dream to be a coach. And then I think just really naturally through my own experiences, which I'm, I'm kind of being a bit vague about at the moment, because I know that we're going to be diving into these things. So if anyone's like, Fine. hey, that's tell me more. <laughs> um, I know that we're going to be exploring that. So I'm just sort of giving you that overview. But really naturally through these two areas of my own experience and working to help people change, whether that was, um, you know, mental health, whether it was uh, substance misuse and now obviously relationship patterns, self-esteem, that they just collided, you know, and through what I was interested in and learning and putting out there, that just attracted people similar to me i'd never never want to say the same you know but Mm -hmm. similar experiences for sure and that was just quite natural wow i think it's yeah it's it's for me something that i've you know would love to delve into and i know a lot of my friends um you know suffer with this as well as self-esteem issues um and just kind of having not not actually knowing that you have self-esteem issues until you I don't know, I presented with it. And from my own kind of um, journey, you know, I've done lots of mindset work and and delving into that in quite a lot of depth. And when it's kind of, when I look at what's actually in my subconscious mind and what's kind of stuck there from, you know, old belief patterns, and it's hard to to get rid of these things um, that are ingrained in us from, you know, childhood, because we're not born into this world with self-esteem issues. Um, you know, we're not born into this world you know, needing substance to substances. And so it's, yeah, it's, it's such a, you know, a heavy topic, but also something that's just so interesting and so vast of where we can go with this conversation today. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, if we, we strip it back to the basics, like what is um, somatic attachment therapy, like the basics yeah. of it, if you could explain it for me and the audience today. Yeah. And I would love to say there was a point where I had no idea what it was either. Okay. And I wish I could remember what I was Googling because I've got two experiences like this where I've Googled something and then kind of this dream thing has come up, but I don't know what I Googled, whether I Googled like somatic or attached, like I must've something. And then anyway, this course came up through the Embody Lab, which is somatic attachment therapy. I didn't really have to read much before I was like this is it like I know for sure um I think the best thing is just to look at them sort of separately for a moment Mm -hmm. so with attachment wounds pains trauma we're really looking at experiences that we've had in our past of where we've not been seen met there's probably not been enough or there's been too much you know in terms of yeah having your needs met Mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. the safety that you experience in your life and it's really seeing that play out today still seeing that play out in current relationships and we hear people talk right about i keep attracting the same person or i'm getting triggered by the same things and so usually that's we can see that we're holding on to something there okay. so with attachment trauma the past is showing up in your current relationships mm-hmm. you know? and then we have somatic work And that is, it does actually involve the talk therapy as well. I've got a background in cognitive behavioral therapy. Okay. So it's literally the perfect combination if you ask me, but the somatic works very much about exploring the body. So it's not just, what are you thinking? Let's reframe. We, we certainly believe that trauma is stored in the body. It's quite physical. Mm -hmm. You know, if you think of those times when you're in panic or despair, People often say, like, I just feel numb or I just literally feel like so, so panicked, like the words that they'll use. And so the somatic work is very much about coming just more aware or becoming more aware of where this shows up Mm. in your feelings, Mm -hmm. the sensations in your body. Mm -hmm. And it's paying attention to that because we leave our bodies. Like if let's use attachment, someone's not texting me. I leave my body, I go somewhere else. I'm Mm. not grounded in the moment sort of with access, you know, to thinking this through clearly. Mm. 
instead i'm kind of overwhelmed the emotion is all over me the thoughts are going as well so that's why that is it's very much a holistic approach is very important as well but you know when we pay attention to the thoughts we tend to go with the thoughts yeah absolutely we, we try and come up with the alternatives but we've gone somewhere else mm-hmm. and the work that I do is about bringing our attention to our body and that's going inwards. That then means I'm not going out to that person. I'm going inwards to say, what is it about this that I'm experiencing? Not even to change it in that moment, believe it or not, the, the attention that you give yourself in this way, when you begin to build this kind of relationship with yourself first, that actually, that does do the healing work, mm-hmm. mm. you know? Yeah. So naturally through giving your just, so it's very much around, yeah, becoming more aware of the physical side, the sensations, giving that attention, separating it a bit from the thoughts. Obviously they go hand in hand. Um, It's very much a holistic approach. And so for me, I'm sure we'll talk about, it was just the missing link because I was only ever doing thought work. Mm. I was just trying to change my mind about things. I was just trying to stop myself feeling this way. Mm. And I really had no idea that actually, if I can learn to be with these sensations and build confidence that I can handle them and know them and speak to them, that that itself would bring me down. And you've got to think as well, when we're doing that, we're not so much thinking then about the threat, the person, we're literally with ourselves. So true. There's like, yeah, I think in terms of, if I try and think about my own situation, I know that if I say there's a situation where someone hasn't replied or you start becoming in your own head, that's when I'll start building my own narrative. And my husband will pull, pull me up on this quite often and be like, that you don't know that that's a fact. You don't know that's what they're thinking. You know, you're completely you know, catastrophizing it in a way because we don't know the facts here. And then, you know, I've always, and I think I've mentioned this in other episodes, it's like straight away stress in the chest for me. And it almost like when it's like that extreme, like I feel like I've done something wrong. It's almost like I've taken like a drug or something. My pupils will dilate, um, my palms will sweat. I'll have like the physical reactions as well as like the mental reactions as well. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it makes so much sense, I guess, by combining the physical and the mental and and trying to ground the situation that we're in that makes so much That's sense it. um because I've done a lot of mindset work and then I've separately done you know body work in terms of yoga or things like that but not together so it feels all encompassing it feels mm-hmm. like you know you are it's I don't know yeah it's, it makes sense for sure yeah and there's this other side especially with attachment difficulties being with those feelings, being with those sensations can feel really alien mm. because you're used to thinking about other people or you're used to shutting them off for protection. And so I know certainly for a lot of the people that I work with, they get annoyed. And this used to be me 100%. It still can be actually um, an hour long yoga session. Mm. Literally, they're like, no way. Like I'll do a hit class, I'll go and run, absolutely. But to be still, mm. no way, mm. you know? Yeah. So that slowness, there is so much benefit in like five minutes of yoga to be with your body. And when you're in a position that feels uncomfortable to stay with that is so powerful. Mm, definitely. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, when we started the episode today and we did, um, you know, some of the meditation, the somatic work, it was a lot, a lot about grounding and there was some visualization work in there as well. Um, would you say that's a big part of some of the work that you do with your, um, you know, patients and guests, I guess? There's there's quite a few different branches that come off of this, mm-hmm. but there are some where yeah some of the most basic things that we do not in terms basic in terms of it's easy to do basic in terms of one of the first things i'll be doing Mm -hmm. is yeah having a grounding practice because if we don't have that kind of practice that we've just done there if we're not doing that quite regularly i mean literally in our day you don't have to sit there and do that Mm -hmm. you can literally go on a five minute walk and do that yeah but you know a mindfulness presence grounding you find what works for you But if we're not doing that, 
and your goal is to be able to self-soothe in the moment, you're going to have a really difficult time. Mm. So if I've got a client who, and this happens, who wants to self-soothe in the moment and they come to me to be able to do that, you know that like high level, mm. I need to control myself. Yeah. But they are not adopting any kind of grounding or mindfulness practice in the meantime because they're so busy and numbing and all of the things to like to bring that together is really difficult like i have to be really honest with people if you can't make time for this you're going to struggle in the moment Mm. we need to be teaching ourselves to ground yeah how how often would you say like do you do that daily i do it daily in the sense of you know you see i'm sat here with a coffee like that daily coffee for me is very intentional mm. it, and it's one of my first ever practices actually of being mindful and I'm sure that even here I mean it is just the first one that I've got had the time to have today but I'm sure it's also me having it here it's that sense of safety you you don't have to take time out with these practices because you could do it on your commute to work mm. you can do it like I would love to say yes do it daily but honestly so I've got the attachment recovery gym it's a membership for like somatic practices and it's a gym treat it like a gym how often would you go to the gym you know if you're trying to improve something so just just like that and some people would go daily Mm -hmm. you know and some people would go a couple of days a week you you get to decide that Mm -hmm. and obviously that does doesn't always it really it just depends yeah I was going to say perhaps the more you go the quicker you're going to see results but that's not true if you've got someone who where it's not as intense for them they don't have the same lived experience so totally I do I naturally now do a practice every day it's just in the shower I'll do a practice you know and is that you know do you listen to anything or is it just you are just going through those motions in your own head like I'm gonna have my feet on the ground I'm gonna feel the water in the shower um being present in that moment is that kind of how how you do that a bit of both. If I'm doing meditation, and I'm guess that there's an argument that it's all meditation. So, yeah. but if I'm intentionally doing, you know, meditation, that's guided for me. Mm-hmm. Always guided for me. Yeah, nice. And maybe one day that will be different. But yeah, the ones where perhaps it's in the shower, and that's not every time I'm in the shower. It's just. I, do you know about have you, the book Atomic Habits? No, I haven't. By the way, I've got a pen and pad here. So if you see me writing, it's just I'm no, no problem. Notes and make, yeah, I carry yeah, on. Um, Atomic Habits. Yeah, and he's, it's just about forming new habits because I'm all about, mm. for me, when it comes to this work, I'm all about habits. I really, yes. really believe that that makes a difference. Not in the achievement, be productive kind of way, in the what it takes to create change kind of way. Yeah. And um, yeah, he just talks about habit stacking and that is adding a habit to something you already do. So it's when you have your coffee, you have your mindful practice. Mm, And all that means is just tasting the coffee and, you know, sensing the coffee, all of the things. Totally. And I was was literally having this discussion the other day with um, a gut health specialist and she was saying, she was like, it doesn't matter if you've got the healthiest meal ever, but if you're in a mindset where you're stressed, you're on fight or flight, you know, you've just had an argument and then you just eat a healthy salad, it's going to be digested as poison ultimately, because you're not in a good headspace and like being relaxed and being mindful about when we're eating and um, you know, and being surrounded by friends and family in, in that environment where we're having food. And yeah, so it makes a lot of sense. And mm-hmm. I think I think that's also really refreshing because, you know, I myself am working Monday to Friday, you know, rushing around and commuting an hour there, commuting back. Um, so sometimes, you know, when you are trying to do the work, it can feel almost like a bit of a burden because you're like, I haven't done that today. And then you start this whole cycle of, shaming yourself and then it becomes counterproductive um but what i think is really refreshing and i think the listeners will find really refreshing is that you are making it so accessible for anyone in their daily environment you're not saying okay you need to be working for yourself and you know then we can really you know do all of these amazing things for ourselves that's unfortunately not reality for you know most of the general public and we're all trying our best um you know we've we've all got bills to pay and unfortunately that that takes us out of the house for a long time and you know but doing that in your morning commute is is a really amazing way to, to do that. I can start doing that in my, you know, drive to work. 
if you're on a bus in London, put some headphones in, do it there, commuting. Um, so yeah, I think that's a really refreshing, um, brilliant way to look at it. And I think the listeners will appreciate that too. So Absolutely. thank you. I'm always finding that balance still now because I've been working for myself about over a year. But I worked my ass off to do that. I cannot even tell you. And that includes as well, um, at the same time, doing all of this healing work. So, yeah, I'm always finding the balance between, hold on a second, like, I did this. I did a lot of this key work, working for a very busy mental health NHS service. So it is possible, like, I do know that. But obviously, the longer that I work for myself, the more... Yeah, I am quite aware of that. It's funny you bring that up. I sometimes overthink that because I'm I'm a bit like, maybe I should be celebrating that this is what's possible as well. Because I do believe part of attachment healing is expanding your own potential mm. and really believing in your own dreams. Um, yeah, because so, ultimately yeah. those get quietened as well. I mean, I've always been described as someone who's kind of maybe got my head in the clouds because I'm constantly, I'm a dreamer. I've been an absolute dreamer. Dream big, dream yeah. big. It's possible. I was saying to yeah. you before, I now know it's possible. Mm. It was impossible. I was not the, from start to finish, the moment I'm born, I'm on paper, not the person that would go and build a business by themselves wow. and to work for themselves. So I, I'm not, we've all got li- different lived experience and I am mindful of that. Um, but also I think it's possible your story is really refreshing in terms of you know it's accessible what you're saying is you can still you can still work for somebody else and do the somatic work and oh, you know and and looking at all of these attachment um that you may have but also if you are going to that job every single day and you've got dreams where maybe you want to work for yourself or you know you want to create art or you know what you're saying is you can, you can absolutely do that. And I mean, what would be really good for the audience is tell us how you got out of that situation where you probably felt a little bit stuck. um, And how long, what was the process like going from being in a, you know, fast paced mental health NHS environment to now working fully for yourself, functioning, you know, and managing a business and doing something where you feel fully inspired and authentically you. Yeah, it was, I want to say it was long, but now on reflection from when I started, it's probably where the dream really started. It was probably about five years. At the time that felt really, really long. But for me, it was just a case of, I wasn't going to give up. Mm -hmm. Did it? replace having a relationship possibly there's possibly that that happened not that that has to happen for everyone might already be in a relationship you know um but I don't know it was when I started working for myself and didn't have two jobs anymore that is when I met someone so I'm not sure um but it was I just didn't give up so it was knowing the dream tuning into the dream every day any time that you know I was saying to you earlier when I got got to a point in my job where the more aware I was of my dream the harder it was to get up and go to that job now I was quite lucky in the sense of there was a lot of crossover in terms of the skills and the practice so I could always tune back into helping people and that kind of passion but I'd come to the end of that role Mm. you know Mm-hmm. And there was no point me moving because the next move was to work for myself. Yeah. And I just thought there's no point me sidestepping somewhere else anymore. And so it really was just a case of knowing that what felt so misaligned at that point, and this is where a lot of the somatic work really did come in, work and relationship, because I was recognizing how misaligned I felt, how sometimes really low I felt anxious that this is never going to work all of the feelings that you could relate actually to when I was dating someone like is this going to work is it not going to work I'd use those same skills of noticing that Mm -hmm. having to ground myself literally go out on extra walks tune into the why I'm doing it understand that I felt sometimes like almost like I felt depressed because I'm not supposed to be doing this Mm -hmm. so it was really listening to my emotions but not not following them you know and just 
I have to say, just not, I just wasn't going to give up. Mm-hmm. I wanted something bigger. And for me, part of that journey was I have to build something for myself so that if I am ever on my own um, again, like if, if I go through a breakup again, or when I eventually meet someone, they can't be my whole life anymore. Mm. I can't have that happen. And with a job that was okay, but wasn't my passion and purpose, it didn't take much to distract me. With a job that's passion and purpose, it takes an awful lot more to distract you. It takes someone like, can someone even come and take that happiness? I don't, I'm not sure they can. And now if someone left, obviously, touch wood, don't want him to, um, but I do still have this world now. So it had a lot of other like healing Mm. aspects to it as well. Yeah, totally. And I guess like for the longest time, you know, I don't know if this is just like a girl thing in the UK, but I swear to God, like all of my husband and his friends, they've got a million hobbies and growing up. And this could be a super generalization of just the people that I've hung out with. But as girls, we've been like, oh, we don't have as many hobbies. Oh, I don't know what my passion is. And, you know, sometimes I feel that you'll just be like, I really want to do something, but I don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, I've always I've always known that I wanted to do podcasting. I did it at university, wanted to do radio. I've had it in all of my teenage diaries, all of it, but I just ignored it for the longest time because I was just like, that's just completely ridiculous. You can't do a podcast, you know. Um, and if I probably started in 2013 when I did it at university, you know, who knows what would have happened, but you know, here here we are now. Um, so yeah, so I mean, I guess if anyone who's listening, who maybe hasn't quite yet found that thing that, you know, is their passion, do you have any advice for that? Just the niggle, like what's the niggle? Because like I said, there was always a niggle about coaching for you. There was that niggle about podcasting, so is there any niggles? If there isn't, experiment. Mm. Tune into what you have a sense, and this is great somatic work. What do you sense? Is there any inner knowings of what you think you would enjoy? Have you seen someone else and thought, I really want to try that? Um, or is it that there's something that you used to do that you'd love to do again? Podcasting is a great example for you, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think the niggles, and we have to follow my membership used to be called follow your fire we have to follow that fire it's following that niggle and for me it was a breakup when I was 29 and I had a niggle throughout that relationship that this isn't this isn't it I ignored it for the self-esteem the attachment issues I was just attached to this person and then when I got out of the shock of that relationship like the breakup when I got out the shock of that and I was able to admit I really ignored a lot of signs there I then said, well, what else are you ignoring? Mm. And it was like, that I just want to be a coach. Yeah. And that wasn't necessarily my own business. I, did, I had no idea. My journey of starting a business is not one I would recommend to anyone. It was just throwing things, you know. <laughs> um, I didn't even know really what it was to be a coach. I just always had, just don't know. I just remember being like, I want to be a life coach. I used to Google like life coach. Oh, wow. And what age, what age did you start kind of Googling that? Honestly, I could early, early twenties. I went to like a couple of things about life coaching and then would go back to my job. Um, wouldn't, was embarrassed about it. So wouldn't really tell people, didn't tell people I was into self-help. I remember going to a meeting with this life coach once and I was going just actually to find out a bit more about it. Obviously she thought I was going to, for her to be my coach. Um, so just little things like that. Mm. we're just there all the time but coaching then it just wasn't a thing so I had no idea had it been now there's a lot of I only have to sign up to a course right yeah um, there's totally. workshops everywhere but that just it didn't exist yeah and then also it makes it so much more in your head I guess unachievable because you're just like and that was the same for me I was just like you know, I got first in university. I was the only one in my course that did podcasting. Everyone was like, podcasting, that's like so random, you know? (laughs) And my university lecturer was like, you need to go and do this outside of uni, like 100% do it. And rather than having that like belief in myself, I just went 
down the conventional route of getting uh, you know getting a job in an advertising company and working in media that way um and the patterns that I'm seeing in my life are very much that you know just when I'm about to maybe start something then I'm like oh no actually I'm not good enough like let's go down the conventional route because we need to pay bills um and I think that's that's you know how it is for a lot of people um especially because if you've been wearing this mask for a really long time say with a group of friends say in your work environment say with your family even um and actually underneath it all you really just want to you know I don't know grow your own vegetables and and live a quiet life um but this whole you know exterior has been created um from years and years of of living a life that's not authentically yours um and then trying to explain that to people and the reactions it's you know people are just confused about it and I think that's because they're not being honest with who they really are deep down inside and we're all just on this continual you know path which is and I, I feel like it's especially in the UK right now like it feels like it's turning into like a mini America and like this work um pattern where like I mean in America my dad's half American it's very much like um go to go to college like you have to go to college um and then you know you can't even get an entry-level position in like America without you know a college degree which really? is just so expensive um and then you're just on this kind of like you know, rat race can, and it's just like, and then once you're so far in, you've got the house, you've got the car, you've got the kids that you need to pay for. You've got the schools potentially that you might pay for, depending on what, you know, where you go with it. But then it's just like, you're trapped. How do you get off? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's it, isn't it? And I think they say, isn't it? Is it around like age 29 or something? People have a moment of, I'm either going, going to, I don't know where I've heard or read this. No, but, but there, anyway. The, yeah they're either going to um take a risk and change their plan or they're going to stay in it and no, yeah. I'm sure there's you can go into like older than that but there's that moment of I carry on in this or I take a risk yes totally and that's yeah. that's something I've been thinking and talking a lot about is like risks and taking risks and when to take those risks and you know, because if is if it can come across as slightly unconventional, maybe your dream at the time, you know, in your with all your colleagues working, you know, at the NHS, it might be like life coach. Wow, that's you know really going to happen, or you know, mm-hmm. all of those all those little things mm-hmm. that you might say or people might say around you that ends up affecting your energy and gets kind of stuck in there. Yeah, um, and so it makes it so much harder. So I guess yeah, it's it's an open discussion really. And for listeners, you know, I'm sure you're probably going through something similar. If you're feeling stuck or you know you feel you know worried about taking risks, I guess you know just do it. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, let's go more into the different attachment styles. Can you talk us through those? Because that would be really interesting. Because I don't know those myself. Yeah, so the sort of overall theme, if you like, is insecure attachment and secure attachment. So we're really looking at how you form relationships in terms of how secure you feel, how trusting you feel, how easy it is for you to, you know, be intimate and close with someone and, and trust and expect good things from a relationship. And so you've got secure attachment and insecure. In the insecure umbrella, you have avoidant attachment, anxious attachment, and disorganized. If you're secure, there's this nice balance between, you know, independence and being in relation in relationship with someone else. There is sort of positive expectations of love relationships how this could turn out if it doesn't turn out that I'll be okay there's this underlying worthiness whatever your relationship status and relationship with this person Mm. so you can kind of take more risks you're open to space apart you don't necessarily read into everything and analyze everything it's just a lot more safety I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about cytoplan a unique science-based supplement company with many years of experience in nutritional science 
and whose emphasis is on quality of product. My medical herbalist swears by them as they don't use any unnecessary bulking agents. Before I found out about Cytoplan, I was taking up to eight supplements a day, all with bulking agents in them. It was such a relief to find out Cytoplan products are extremely pure. I now use them daily and I would recommend them to anyone looking for quality vitamins and supplements. They have a great range for many different health benefits. So if you'd like to find out more, please follow the link in the bio of this episode and check out Cytoplan. You won't regret it. Um, For insecure attachment, let's go. So there is here a theme of a fear of abandonment, not trusting you know the the goodness of relationships and connection because of past experiences it makes a lot of sense when you really break it down individually and so the anxious is very much around managing that fear through wanting to be close in terms of proximity you know really needing that person a person close in order to feel good enough, in order to feel like I'm not going to be left, I'm not going to be on my own. So they tend to really struggle with the fear of being left alone or being left at all. Mm-hmm. And yeah, a lot of the, the feeling is quite high in terms of the emotion. It's very intense. It's very painful acting out of character, especially when triggered and just reading negatively into what most things mean, whether that's a facial expression or a reason for them not messaging, whatever it might be. Avoidant tends to be, again, negative expectations of love, relationships, but their strategy is to keep people at arm's length, whether in relationship or out of relationship. So they'll kind of resist getting too close to people. You know, and they'll often describe not really being too connected with their feelings. They might be more likely to feel quite numb, um, might seem like they don't care. But underneath, we, we know that stress hormones are very much active, but there is this almost disconnection, if you like. Mm-hmm. And then disorganized attachment is a mixture of the both. You, you don't necessarily, there's not always a pattern of whether it's going to be anxious or whether it's going to be avoidant in that moment. And something that's really key here is that we all have each attachment style. You know, we all have secure tendencies, anxious tendencies, avoidant tendencies, but we might just primarily lean towards one. You might lean towards another one around a different type of person. You know, so I, I don't, as much as I'm an attachment coach, I do try to avoid people labeling themselves too much mm. because it's more about, well, in the relationships that matters to you and in your life, what strategies are showing up and where. Mm. Are they anxious strategies or are they avoidant strategies? This is secure strategy, so we can lean into that. Mm. That's really interesting, actually, because mm. I was I was kind of thinking as I was looking into your work that maybe, you know, you would have like everyone has their label, you know, whether they're like an anxious, um, you know, or um, avoidant attachment styles. So it's interesting that you say that because that was going to be one of my questions. Could you say what attachment style I am? But yeah, that makes so much sense because it does change. And also when we're around certain people, it can trigger certain things, whether it's our family, because we go back to our inner child our partner because um you know we can be a hundred percent ourselves um they've seen you know the highs and the lows because they're the closest ones to us um and then certain friends you know jealousy may come up or um feeling competitive or all of those different things Mm. so yeah i guess it's a broad spectrum um depending on how many relationships you have in your life (laughs) absolutely and we often don't want to admit that we're anxious because of the neediness the jealousy and we're so told that those things are like awful aren't we Mm. especially i would say especially girls or women you know from that young age of like it's terrible to be jealous it's the worst thing in the world and so if someone's really struggling with that you might really keep it to yourself on the flip side avoidant really gets that villain label that Mm. it's bad and cold and you don't care it's really just not the case Mm -hmm. you know i did a post recently it's mainly TikTok this happened and I basically said like avoidant people get a 
like the reputation of being a villain and just spoke quite kindly about avoidant people. And so many people were just like, couldn't see it, just absolutely shut off to thinking that this could be someone with experiences and feelings. And it was almost like seeing them as very intentional mm. going out their way to hurt people's feelings. And I just don't see it that way. Yeah. Not really, I, I don't mind if people don't see that on social media. I probably say that people that comment that and can only see that fixed way probably it's a sign that they need to look at themselves anyway. Mm. Um, you know, if you're that kind of fixed without the ability to step into compassion, mm. I think there's something for us to, unless, listen, if you're in it right now with an avoidant person and you're angry and pissed off, yeah, fine, maybe now's not the time. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. totally. <laughs> I know one of my one of my close friends, she, and I've just realised that she's really going to, um, really going to love this episode. Um, but yeah, so she's going through a breakup right now and she's kind of realised, she's like, we are totally different um, in terms of our attachment styles. She was like, he's avoidant. And the way that she's kind of dealing with it at the moment, and we had this discussion last night, it's just with so much compassion. She's like, we realised, you know, I don't feel angry at him about that in the moment. Yes. And like, it was a toxic environment and relationship for us, but you know, now I, I just understand why we weren't compatible. Um, mm. And I think that's that's a really good way of looking at it because, you know, who knows what's happened for that person to in, in their life? Why are they avoidant? Those are the questions we should be asking. You know, we're, as, as to take it all the way back to our initial discussion, we're not born like this. This is something that has happened to us over time um, whether it's, you know, something in the home as a child, um, whether it's a school with friendship group, something has happened to make people the way that they are in their own attachment styles. Mm -hmm. And, and I guess lead leading with that with compassion and, you know, and, and, and that's definitely something that I've learned from you today. And also my friend, because I felt as a protective best friend, you know, almost like, oh, I'm really angry for you. And she's like, I'm not, I'm not, you know, like this is, yeah. this wasn't supposed to be. And, and that's, that's okay. Um, yeah. It makes me think it's no reason though, to stay in an unhealthy situation. Cause there's a fine line as well. Like I know that a lot of people will talk about narcissists. Um, there's a very fine line, but yeah, you know, not every avoidant is a narcissist. I think that's very clear to say. Mm -hmm. um, but it's no excuse to stay in a situation. Yeah. You know, because mm -hmm. you understand someone. And I'm talking about if it's severe, if it's really hurting you, if you're, you know, and there's no working through this and you're the only one doing the work and things like that. Because both me and my partner, I mean, just because it's so normal, everyone does, um, have tendencies to be avoidant and anxious, mm -hmm. you know, and if I was to, finish it with him even in the early stages because of the signs of avoidance that I saw I wouldn't now be in this relationship with someone where it's mostly very healthy and secure mm -hmm. but yeah of course there's times where you know I felt like last night and this morning I could feel the anxiety in me rising up but I haven't gone into maybe I did a little bit over apologize last night maybe I did <laughs> um but this morning I could still feel this anxiety. it was so silly he doesn't often tell me if he's upset about something either okay. um and i could see that he was it's so silly it was literally end of a very lovely night we'd had it was over the telly we were laughing afterwards because it really was over the telly <laughs> um but he very rarely tells me he's upset and i said to him you don't have to tell me you're upset but i know energy i can't prove that you're upset i can't prove but i know energy and he just said yeah i was upset and it was such a big deal for me because I was like, oh my God, I wonder if that was a big deal for you. I didn't make too much of a big deal, but I was like, wow, he's never done that. He's never really said, you can't have never been upset over a year. Yeah. So like you, you're holding stuff in or it's how he expresses it. I don't know. And so it's a big deal that he did that. And I just wanted him to feel safe enough to say that mm, so that he knows he can say that around me. Mm -hmm. um, so I did, I literally was like, oh my God, well, thanks for telling me. Cause I know I wouldn't have had an idea of what it was. It was just that I said, yeah, let's watch this. No, I don't want to watch it. Mm -hmm. Um, just a quick changing his mind and it just pissed him off a little bit. Yeah, totally. You know? But yeah, that's, and I think so important though, because like in so many relationships when that communication or breaks down and you are avoidant, say you're both on the, have avoidance tendencies, then it can just be so many miscommunications building up, building up, building up, building up. And before you know it 
then it's like, oh, bugger. Like, I don't even know who you are anymore. And are we even connecting? I didn't even know what you're thinking in this moment. Like, obviously, we're not always going to know. But, you know, I feel quite secure in my relationship that I know, you know, that we're so open, a bit too open at times. Yeah, you yeah. Know, that I, I pretty much know what he's thinking. And if he's pissed off, I'll know, you know. So I think yeah. it's really a really good topic because a lot of people who I know in relationships, it's it's about learning to trust in that moment, as you say. And you and you yeah. created that uh, you created that environment for him to actually open up and say, Yeah, I was a bit pissed off actually. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, it passed. Like but then I have to look at what I and this is where the somatic work comes in, because I then have to look at what's happening with me in that moment, which is like the fear of upsetting him oh my god is he going to leave me now does he not want to be that's the anxious thoughts the anxious attachment yeah but through reckoning and even today what I was going to say is I could still feel it this morning and all I did is just thought well where can I and I could really feel it in my chest Mm -hmm. but because I'm aware of that I was able to pay attention to the feeling in my chest remember secure attachment which is no he just got a little bit pissed off and that's really normal in a relationship and he can he's returned back to a secure state Mm -hmm. hasn't stayed in an angry state but I know that my reaction I did it a bit last night is to kind of if I wasn't aware of it today I'd probably be so nice to him Mm. I'd be like do you want a cup of coffee do you want me to do this do you want me to do that but I'm not going to do that today I'm just going to be like normal with him yeah but there's some intention behind that for me to not go into I don't need to make up for that it was silly but for an anxious attachment, that's not silly. That's mm. like your relationship is on the line. Mm, absolutely. You know, for if an anxious attachment, if you sense someone might be a bit upset, it comes all about me. It's about my worth. It's about this relationship ending. Um, and so even tiny little things like that can just send you over the edge. And if you don't have that awareness of how you're feeling, of also where your thoughts are going, you'll just go with it. Mm. You know, yeah. and I... I could literally be shut down now like oh my god he was upset with me he was upset with me and he probably wouldn't have been able to say that because I would have been defensive all of those things and it could have ruined your whole weekend I know like honestly can't it (laughs) one thing like that can happen for me and I'm just like well that's it like everything's fucked (laughs) you know let me tell you yeah a year ago not a year ago years ago I wouldn't have been able to I would not have been able to um sort of come back from that I probably think what I would have done to cope with it is I would have gotten a strop first. You're annoyed with, oh yeah, that's what would have happened. I would have gotten a strop and it would have been my feelings we had to look after. Mm. And then that would have materialized into something where he was like, okay, maybe in this one situation I can let it pass. But then if it keeps happening and happening and happening and happening, then his feelings are invalid for him. For him. Yeah, and, and you get to where... the point, right, where he's, why is he ever going to say, it's like you look at the anxious avoidant you know, a lot of the time, it's really difficult to say, like, it's not taking sides, just from the example that we're using, because this can work both ways. But the anxious attachment will often say, the one with the anxious attachment might say, like, um, who's going? Why are they going? I don't want them to go and get upset if any girl is going to be there, or any guy is going to be there, um, whoever makes you jealous. And for an easier life, that person might end up saying, it's just all the guys. It's just yep. all the girls. Yeah. And yes, did they lie? They did lie. But what was the alternative? If they, they, and there is that place, isn't there, of being like, if I told you that someone was going that was going to upset you, and I know there's nothing between us, and I know that I'm just going to have a good time. Like, we're obviously talking about a trustworthy, healthy, secure person um, or avoidant that's still not going to cheat. Doesn't mean they're going to cheat. Um, but we're talking about the anxious attachment getting flared up. Yes, that person lied, but the can we express our fear and anxiety without the need for them to feel the need to protect you, to protect themselves? We don't want an argument. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. But the, I could give you similar examples as well with the, the other way around with the anxious avoidant, you know, where it's the avoidant that's doing something where, of course, they're getting anxious. Mm-hmm. No, honestly, as you were saying that, I was just like picturing all the scenarios and people that I know with those dynamics and I was kind of just like went off in my own head there for a second yeah, so I was just it's like awesome. it's just these are happening and we're, they're happening before our eyes 
every mm-hmm. single moment of every single day in a work environment, in a home environment, in a family environment, you know, and it's, it's, yeah, it's so interesting to kind of exactly look and at it. A lot of the work that I do, <clears throat> the somatic work is around um, really noticing. So the awareness part is noticing the shift in your body. So you notice when you go from everything's good to suddenly every the whole world is crashing down in my body. And again, going inwards to assess that. And so you just become just skilled at noticing, oh, I've just got triggered. Oh, I'm upset. <clears throat> like, oh, I'm anxious. I feel numb. You become really skilled at that. And the more skilled mm. you notice that shift, yeah. you then notice, oh yeah, when that happens, that's when I act out or that's when I do this. Maybe it's the other way around. Maybe you'll you'll start with saying, why do I always like people please with my boss? And then you'll start to connect that. Well, how do I feel? What are the sensations? You're like, all oh, right, okay. So when my heart rate goes like that, that's when I feel the need to offer my boss something. Mm, definitely. Yeah. And like, so in the practical environment, um, say you are, you know, in a situation where you've been triggered and quite instantly, I know with me, I can go from zero to a hundred quite quickly in terms of um, speaking my mind or feeling triggered and feeling like I need to stand up for what I believe in. Um, and it can go and I can feel that. And I've been working on that. Um, you know, I'm working with my therapist on different kind of things like that at the moment as well. Um, but when you're in it, it's so like a fire is in my chest and I need these words need to come out and they're probably not going to be, you know, I guess, the most constructive right now because you are just feeling it on adrenaline almost mm-hmm. like how how in that moment do you stop that because then essentially it's like for me it feels like suppressing it in a way you know yeah. so then it's like that you know do I suppress or do I let it out but then it might not be appropriate and so there's just there's so much to think about you know yeah. I think we're never suppressing because it's just about expression and how we express. And usually if we're in a really triggered state, the way that we express that isn't within our best interest. Yeah. It doesn't mean that we're in our power and all of those things. There is a time where we need to shout, perhaps if you're a parent and your kid is about to run across the road and you know a car, of course, please like do that. If you're in danger, please like scream, shout, do what you need to do. We can trust we're going to do that anyway. Mm-hmm. Like survival is very, very strong. Yeah. Adopting these skills won't take our need to survive away from us. Um, where would I start? So I would, it's always going to depend, obviously, I say this all the time because I really do believe that this is about taking the tools to fit the person. It's not about making you fit the tools. Mm. So it could be that you're like, but I've tried that, I've tried that. Now, outside of making sure that you've got practices outside of this and that you are doing some kind of work around that need to, what did you say? Like, um, I have to get this out. What did you say? There was something you said um, that's quite specific. Yeah, I think it was maybe just like getting my point across. Yeah, like I have to get my point across. So as long as you're doing the inner work around outside of this moment around what is so important about getting your point across, Mm -hmm. because it's going to take it's going to take time for you to be able to do that in the moment. You will. There will be a time you're like, oh, yeah, I know I want to get my point across. But I would really say it's not I always the first bit of work that I do with people is really about looking at the whole environment the whole situation you want to get to know what the triggers are the physical sensations the behaviors the feelings the thoughts when you've got a clear idea of those together you're going to have more of a chance of knowing that you're in it that Mm -hmm. this is happening this is what I've been working on with Carly this is that moment um a plan in place for when that happens but it's that I would say that physical feeling and then just going inwards and, and the language that you use with yourself we want to go inwards and say like okay I'm sensing something in me is really angry right now I'm sensing something in me really wants to get this point, point across right now mm-hmm. just being fully understanding if you you know self-soothing skills finding what works for you yeah 
grounding, leaving the room in the early stages, you find what works for you. If self-soothing is not possible, the best thing we need to be able to do is just try and get a moment of presence, which is that moment where you know you're in it, you know it's happening, and <clears throat> just understanding yourself that you're in it. Don't try and you don't have to try and change it. You're certainly not trying not to feel this way. Mm-hmm. If anyone's goal is not to feel this way or not to feel triggered, it's no wonder it's not working. Mm. This is more about how do I manage it when I am triggered, not how do I, you know, the, the benefit is that we end up not getting triggered the more that we do the work. That's yeah. the benefit of it because we, we really begin to tolerate these feelings. But that burning feeling in your chest, it's being with that. Mm-hmm. And it can seem I know so he... frightening at times, you know, because it's just like, oh, yeah. this is... I'm a, I'm a very emotional person, whether it's, you know, my hormones, um, you know, that I've always been quite up and down with that. So it's sometimes just being with that is is yeah. quite intense, you know. You, there, there has to be, if this is regular, there has mm-hmm. to be a planning that goes on around it. Mm-hmm. So I have with my clients, there's certain, like, you have to find what works for you. But we know that, like, things like smell – we know that smell can be really, really powerful. So in this kind of process that we go through, is there a way of just smelling something in those moments that you know is going to be your anchor to anchor you back to this moment, feeling your feet on the ground, all of those things. Um, but I give people and it's personalized. Some of it's personalized because some of it we all go through um, a trigger list. And it is it might sound really simple, but you read that same list when you're triggered. You read it over and over again, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah, it that's... is because that moment to, and look, if you're in a point where it feels impossible, then the reflection work is really, really powerful. So that's after the episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think like deconstructing it and then I guess reviewing why you were triggered and that's what I have been trying to do recently actually I've just got little notes in my my iPhone and honestly some of them are so funny I think I've even I've turned my phone off but I think one of them was like my me and my husband were having an argument and just some of the stuff that I wrote down at the time when I was triggered it's just I was just laughed at it and like in my rational head afterwards because I was just like being so mean and just like writing all of this stuff down but it made me laugh and I went through it actually with my therapist like last week I was like okay let's go through a few of these triggers and then let's like see why I was triggered and stuff and a lot of it uh, which we figured out was from criticism so if I have any sort of criticism then I'll be like you know straight away um that's triggered me. Yeah. And that's the somatic work right there. So if we were in a session, I would work with you. You quite literally just showed me what happens and we don't yeah. even realize that feel it. There's something in that, right? Yeah. So that's yeah. the feeling that you're working with mm. that, that, that that's so powerful. And that will be from the past. I've got no doubt mm. that need to whatever that was, that's really powerful, mm. you know, to, that was a very physical reaction. Yeah, definitely. It always is definitely. And I think, I think for a lot of people, whatever happens up here is, is always ends up coming out physically, you know, whether it manifests in illness, whether it manifests in anxiety, um, fatigue, all these different things, brain fog. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, honestly, I've really, really, really enjoyed learning um, with you today, Carly-Anne. It's been so cool. Um, And yeah, I mean, for anyone listening, I'm just aware of the time. I know we've been talking for a while now. (laughs) Um, But I want to contact you after this, actually, because I'd be interested in working with you, you know, as well as my therapy. And because I I really, really am interested in the work that you're doing. I think I could benefit from it. Yeah, Um, I honestly think it's the for me, it was the missing link. mm, It really was. Well, yeah, I can see that 100%. Um, and for any of the listeners out there who may, this may have sparked their interest and and they might want to get in t- contact with you. I'll put all your socials at the end of this. Um, but yeah, anything you'd say, like how do they dip their toe into this um, to see whether they want to start on this journey of finding out more? 
Yeah, so I also have a podcast, which I've just recently changed the name to All About Attachment. So I think podcasts and books are a great place to start. You don't even have to do that. Like you could just literally Google. There's so much information out there. I think if you're in it and you know that you want to start practicing the somatic work, I probably would recommend my online membership, the Attachment Recovery Gym, or if anyone's in and around London, um, I'm literally running in-person events where we're doing somatic work, attachment somatic work, wow. um, which obviously you can find all of that through my Instagram, my website, which you'll link all of that. Um, and it's just, yeah, there's practices in the membership. You can dip in and out of them. Obviously we'll be practicing it in real life if, if people can attend that. You know, with podcasts, it probably means that everyone's like everywhere. <laughs> um, but yeah, they're probably the main places in terms of the actual practice. I talk about a lot of it on my Instagram and things like that. But obviously the practice itself. I've been thinking about maybe doing like a bit on my YouTube about and my podcast about a bit more practice. But yeah. I would say for now, they're good places to start. Yeah, honestly, it sounds incredible. So anyone listening, if you are interested in Carly Ann's work, I will be putting the socials at the end of this podcast. Thank you so much. Oh, it's been so good. I really, really have enjoyed our conversation today. Um, but yeah, I just, I kind of feel want to, like I want to chat more, but I can't. I know, <laughs> um, have, I know that feeling. But have a lovely day. Um, and thank you for just being so honest about like things that are going on, you know, in your private life and then yeah. also your story. And there's just so many, so many different amazing things that I've learned about you today. So thank you. Thank you for having me. You're great, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and really so are you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, take care. See you later. Bye. I really got a lot from today's episode, and it's made me think more about my own attachment styles and how I can see them showing up in my daily life. After reading up more on attachment styles after this conversation, it's helped me to realise I have an anxious attachment style in some relationships and find comfort by seeking external validation, usually by checking in to make sure everything is okay via text. I'd never questioned why I did this before or even noticed this was something that was so ingrained into my daily interactions and relationships. So I really appreciate Carly Ann for showing me this. When this attachment style crops up again into my daily life, it feels so much more obvious and I try everything I can to break the cycle that I've done for years. I wonder, do any of you at home recognize certain traits from attachment styles in yourself? How are these affecting your relationships? If you'd like to go deeper into this subject, you can check out Carly Ann on her socials at carly.ann, which is spelt C-A-R-L-Y dot A-N-N underscore. You can also keep up with what I'm up to at Media Official. Until next time. <laughs>